0: This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. You can receive your free audiobook if you go to Audible.com and sign up to the Gold Membership Plan, and you'll get a book for free. Now, if you cancel your membership, you still get to keep that book. That's at Audible.com. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're completely and utterly relaxed? Not a care in the world. Not a care in the world. I think I can count on probably two hands. Two, possibly three hands where I'm absolutely and utterly at peace. It's a good feeling. It is a really, really good feeling. The content feeling. Everything's okay. Yeah. Probably about, yeah, on two heads. And maybe a few toes. I could, you know, count the moments where I was completely and utterly at peace. Today's episode is all about that. Hi. And welcome to Comfy Place for the year, well, 2020. I'm glad you could stop by. Now, kick back and relax wherever you are in the world listening to this. You could be anywhere. Australia, America. It's strange, actually. I, I you know, look at the logs all the analytics stuff, you know, to let me know who's listening. And I think every single country is is there. There's a map and it's really cool. And I have one of those moments where I look at a new country that comes online or, you know, a new listener, and it fills me with absolute and utter joy. So welcome. 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 Today is all about relaxation in a specific place. In Australia, we have many places where you can come and relax. Oh, we do relaxation extremely well. We really do. You can go to all these, you know, wonderful places and just experience nature. I mean, there's only, you know, 25 million of us, so... I think roughly there's about one person per three square kilometres or something. For me, the one place that I loved to go to and I would find myself returning again and again, especially when I was living in the town of Baruga, was the mighty Murray River. It is mighty. It is long. It is wide. It's beautiful. I could, you know, tell you all the facts about the Murray River, and I will, through this, you know, entire entire episode, but that doesn't paint the picture, does it? That doesn't paint the colour. That doesn't give you the reason why I'm talking about this. There's lots of rivers around the world. But for me, there's only one Murray River. I have so many memories with that place. I grew up. I'm a proud, well, the term's a river rat, but uh, no. But yeah, there's so many memories. We, I would wake up, you know, in a morning. Christmas, not Christmas. That was present time. I would wake up school holidays though, and I would have time arranged with my friends, and we would all just go down to the river. And I was about thirteen, you know, fourteen around there, and we would swim, and we'd laugh and we'd play, and then the day would roll on. And it's just one of those things that, at the, as the sunset rolls in, let me, let me paint you a picture here. The river is always beset both sides with beautiful gum trees, tall, proud gum trees, grey in their barks with a little light brown. And at the top, there would be the wonderful, you know, green eucalyptus trees. These trees sit tall and proud on either side of the banks of the river. Now, the river is about, hmm, I'm going to use the American reference here because it tends to be the de facto one when you want to use a, a measurement. I would say one and a half or possibly yeah, I'd probably say two full football field lengths. It's about how wide it is. And of course, as you go further down the river, the wider it gets. But I grew up in Baruga and it was about about as wide as that. So either side, you know, the banks of these rivers would would sit these majestic gum trees. It's strange. I'm closing my eyes right now and I'm just I'm picturing this image in my mind and I'll never ever forget it because it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced in my life. And it is one of those moments where I was completely and utterly at peace. The river has beaches. It does. As a curve, there's some sand that settles. I'm sure some geography teacher could explain, you know, the details why and the science behind it, etc. But Suffice to say that there is, there is beaches. And so, at the end of the day, we would sit there, feet in the water. The warm, but not too warm, still cool, water. The river, water would just flow on by in a way that's you know, it's not too much of a hurry. It's got places to be, but... Uh, what's the point in hurrying, I'll just mosey on down the river and so we would sit there and we would watch as the sun would slowly set at a certain time of the day when the Light of the sky has made the you know, sky turn from blue to to amber, and you can see the smattering of you know, the wisps of clouds as they're orange in the sky, and the sunset is shining through those gum trees, casting long, long shadows. Around then, the cockatoo birds would congregate on trees and as one it's it's almost as if there's a leader or they've I don't know synchronized their watches or something they all leave the trees together and they will fly across the Murray River to their feeding grounds where they've got you know seeds etc it is truly something spectacular to see and they'd fly across and they'd cover the entire river and Hundreds, hundreds, screeching in their piercing, screeching noise, which for some reason I find really, really beautiful. I don't know why. It's a screech. It's absolutely and utterly a screech. There's nothing else I can say about it. And then they'd be gone. And all that's left is the sound of the wind lazily working its way through the trees. The smell. How do I describe to you the smell? You see, I'd love to use the word road dust. And I'd love to use the word of a hint of eucalypt. In fact, why not? Road dust and a hint of eucalypt. And the water itself, because it has a smell, but it's like a bass player in a band. It's one of those things you don't notice, but eventually when it's gone, you will you know, notice when it's not there. But it sort of mixes together. And then the final piece of resistance is this. The smell of the air becoming cooler and the dew sort of starting. Of course, in midsummer, that wasn't a thing because it was incredibly hot. But if you can combine those smells, it truly was something beautiful. And anyone listening in Australia, you know what I'm talking about. You absolutely and utterly do. Anybody that has visited Australia, even visited Cobram, Baruga. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? That smell, that undefinable, yet I'm sure you're thinking of it right now. And it brings back wonderful memories. Maybe if we're walking along a track. At sunset. Who knows, right? And it's one of those moments where I was, you know, getting back to that original moment, one of those moments I was completely and utterly at peace just watching this sunset. And through my entire life, as things happen, every now and then there's like this little mental painting in the back of my mind that I can just recall back to that moment. Many moments. Many many moments, and they all happened on this beautiful, lazy, majestic, mighty Murray River. Okay, let me now tell you about some statistics, because I need to, you know, walk you through this place. We're going to get back to the anecdotes and stuff like that, but first thing Let's go to a good old place that I call Wikipedia. Now, here we go. The Murray River is Australia's longest river. It's 2,508 kilometres, which is 1,158 miles in length. The Murray rises in the Australian Alps. That's where it starts, which is Australia's highest mountains and then meanders across the Australian inland plains, forming the border between the states of New South Wales and Victoria. Here's a little note. The river belongs to New South Wales. Yeah, I know, right? Someone had to own it. I guess you don't want to have like a no man's land. Just the thought of if that would happen, then you can have criminals, you know, jumping into the water going, well, what are you going to do now? I'm neither New South Wales or, you know, Victoria. Of course, the response would be, well, good luck swimming. Let me know when you want to pick a bank. It turns south at Morgan for its final 315 kilometres, 196 miles, to reach the ocean at Lake Alexandrina. The water of the Murray flows through several terminal lakes that fluctuate in the salinity and they were often fresh until uh, recent decades, including Lake Alexandrina and the Coorong, before emptying through the Murray Mouth into the southeastern portion of the Indian Ocean, often re- referenced on the Australian maps as the Southern Ocean near Gulwa. Despite discharging considerable volumes of water at a time, particularly before the advent of the large-scale river regulation, the mouth was, um, has always been comparatively small and shallow. As of 2010, the Myra River system receives 58% of its natural flow. It is perhaps um, Australia's most important irrigation region and is widely known as the food bowl of the nation. That's true. Absolutely that was true. If you if you, you know just simply go to Google Maps. You know, go to Murray River and you can just, you know, do the satellite view. And you'll be able to see the, um, you know, the, the, the river system and the irrigation, etc. And all of the farms and all of the orchards that, you know, just, just feed off its water and its life. Okay. Story number one. In Cobram, in Berga, there was an old bridge. A really old bridge. Oh, by the way, I should say, these are little stories. They're not massive stories. I, I don't really have a plan. I could ramble on, but they're little stories. So, you know, sit back and relax. Or if you're already asleep, then um, subliminal uh, buy milk tomorrow, buy milk tomorrow, buy milk tomorrow. Got you back. There was a bridge. An old, old bridge. The kind of bridge that was made in the, I think it was the 1900s. Big, tall iron frame. It used the gum trees as planks, so, you know, wooden Planks as you know, the road system or the the top of the thing which is used to drive along. If you would stand underneath and as if a, a truck would go over, you would hear it groan and you know, and it sometimes little bits would fall off, hopefully dirt. But it that held up. It was a majestic, majestic bridge, and it was the bridge between Cobram and Baruga the Murray River Bridge. Could only fit one car, you know, at a time. It wasn't like two lanes or only one lane. (laughs) One day, I'll never, ever forget it. Um, Because, as I said, the Murray River is owned by New South Wales. Um, Technically, what's meant to happen is if you find yourself with a vehicle on Victoria and one on the the, New South Wales side, the one on Victoria is meant to give way. There's very, um, well, you know, there's a sign at the start of the bridge. Doesn't really explain very much. You could miss it. It wasn't perfect. Anyway, so one day I was riding with my father, driving along. And he reached the the bridge, you know, the, the entrance of the bridge. And there was another car coming over. And it wasn't giving way. Now. My dad's not a stubborn person. He would probably never, ever, 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 ever admit that he was stubborn. Just wouldn't accept it, ever. Love him the bits, but by God, he was stubborn. Anyway, he positioned the car in the middle of the bridge, opened the door and made the person go back because they meant to give way and he wasn't having it. Not that day. I remember I shrunk into the passenger seat of of the 1979 white Ford Falcon, which had a different technique to open up every single door. Sorry, just a memory just came to me. Yeah, it did. Every single door had a different technique to open it, and none of them were easy. The old joke was you had to provide, um, it had power steering, which was the joke was you had to apply a lot of power to get any steering. Anyway, back to the bridge. So that was the bridge, single lane, in a high square structure in the middle, which was, you know, its structural integrity. And it was the scene for men to become men at an insane level. Now, you've, you've heard of the, the castle drop in you know, a podcast where people would jump off things to claim their manlyhood. If you were insane you would jump off this bridge into the river. Now, let me walk you through why that's insane. And yeah, for starters, you've got unknown logs that could be underneath. You've got sandbars that could shift. And You've got water, would be up and down depending on the course where the river was. One year, me and the friends, we sort of announced that maybe we might do it. I don't know, because, you know, we want to be badasses and stuff like that. And we weren't. Maybe that's a quick ticket way to become, you know, badass in the town. I couldn't rely on football. Um, Spoiler, I was terrible at football. Yeah, last quarter Kneebone was my name. Yeah. So, oh, sorry, quick Australian rules football. There's four quarters um and obviously offense defense um not really just players on the ground kind of like soccer, you know, just like just players. And you run like crazy and you you kick goals and you kick points and stuff like that and ultimately one point, yeah, you know, one team wins. You don't need my advice. You can pause this, check out Australian Rules Football. Don't do a highlight. It's a lot of people getting whacked and injured and stuff like that. It was an incredibly rough sport. Another side note. Sorry, meandering tale. I have played American football. We call it gridiron. I have played Australian Rules Football. And I'm sorry, guys. Australian Rules Football is a lot harder. American Football. I was a halfback uh from Melbourne football. I know this is about Murray, but I, Murray River. But I just completely just sidetracked. This let me get back to this. I was a halfback, and I came down uh, from from the country. Went went to college, and the Berwick Miners were playing. And there's me and a friend of mine, Reg Connor, and we turned up. And the coach, who was really trying to look American, he had the. The cap with the bend, he had the collar, he had the whistle around the neck, he had the whole sports jacket thing going on. He was chewing something, uh, probably chewing gum. He took one look at us and it was like, you know, sizing us up. And he asked, you know, where are you guys from? He said, We've we've we played country football. And I, I played for Baruga. And he immediately went, You're in. If you can play Aussie Rules football, then you can play this. And Reg was a f- a fullback. I was a halfback, and of course we, yeah, we went to the coach and said, um, "What do we do?" And the coach uh, picks up the ball. You know the, the 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 American football, which I do love. God, they've well made footballs. So anyway, and he said, "You know when the quarterback throws the ball forward for someone to catch?" And we went, "Yeah, I think everyone you know sort of knows that." And he said, okay, well, when that quarterback doesn't, he's going to pass it to someone from behind him. And that person is going to run through the linebackers and try and make some yards. Even though, Australia, we are the metric system, we don't use yards, we use meters, but eh, it's American football. So, um, yeah, you can make some yards. And we looked at him. We were like, So we run through? people? He goes, oh, no, no, no. What'll happen is that our linebackers will try and punch you a hole and then you just through the hole there and then bang, you'll be fine. So Reg and I looked at each other and went, well, that sounds like a lot of fun. That sounds like a lot of fun. And it was, it really was. It was a lot of fun. I will say this though, uh, if you have a bad you know, terrible linebackers, you've, you're going to have a bad day at the office. And late tackles, oh my God, when those helmets just whack you in the arms and the legs and like the, the back area there where there's no no padding. Sorry, I'm just touching my back doing that. I don't know why I'm doing that. At least I'm pointing to you. When it touches the small of your back, when I say touch, the helmet hits you there. Yeah, it hurts. But it's nothing compared to Australian rules football because, well, there's no padding and it's really rough yeah I will say this though American football's it's more fun to play it really is because in Australian football you find yourself um again last quarter and even you find yourself you know standing you know, if there's a you know one sided match you'd be standing in the back area and all of a sudden you're just doing nothing and then the ball comes near you and it goes like crazy and you get whacked in the head or you know kicked in the head or punched in the head, and eventually the ball moves on, and you're standing there again. So I couldn't rely on football for me to state my claim. Now, you need to understand, in a small country town, stature is kind of a thing. It really is. It really is. Everybody knows everybody. And so as you come of age, and as you, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, you start to come of age, well, then that's your thing. And football in the town of Baruga is religion. Oh, my God, is it religion. Every Saturday, bang, they are there. They are cheering them on. If you ever get a chance, come to Australia, get a car, hire them. I think we've got lots of cars. Head up north. And watch a country football match. It's one of the most awesome things on the planet. For starters, lots of food. So, you know, get ready for that. But the cars will park around the oval. And when a goal is scored, they'll they'll toot their horn. And it's this cacophony of horns. It's such a country thing. There'll be, you know, some... There'll be a group of people all kicking a football and stuff like that. And it'll just be awesome. Absolutely awesome. Anyway. I couldn't rely on that, so we had this crazy idea that we would jump off this bridge into the Murray River. Yeah, it's, um, it was one of those ones that we were walking towards it, it was a hot day, a hot summer's day, the sun was setting again, and we had this crazy idea. Now, the thing is, it was illegal. Absolutely and utterly illegal. So you had to time it very quickly to get there, go up the scaffolding and jump. Yeah. Arrived on the bridge and we absolutely and utterly chickened out. Oh, I, I couldn't. The bridge is high enough as it is, but up in the scaffolding area up top, not scaffolding, but, you know, frame. Um, it's, it's pretty... Th- four stories, five stories, um, height, yeah, I couldn't do that, I couldn't do that, so I completely and utterly chickened out, and luckily enough, I think, well, we were all thinking the same thing, so, yeah, we all decided at once just to, to not do it. (laughs) Now, the Murray wasn't just a place to do dares and, and stuff like that. One of the things that was, you know, when you're growing up, actually, before I continue, why don't I do interesting facts and stuff like that in between, you know, the stories. Here is 12 facts about the Murray from qualityhouseboats.com.au. So free plug for them. The Murray is the third longest navigatable river in the world comes after the Amazon and the Nile. How about that? That's actually, that's pretty cool. Amazon, Nile, we've heard of those. Then the Murray, which is the third longest navigatable. The origins of the river date back about 130 million years ago. The total length, uh, we've got that one, um, you can uh, navigate the Murray from 1,986 kilometres from Koolgawa right up to Yarrawonga. I have been to Yarrawonga. It's a cool place. It spans across three states, New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia. The Murray has four major dams, 16 storage weirs and 15 navigatable locks. It is the major domestic water supply for 1.5 million homes. Water. Dams. That reminds me. One day, I was at school, uh, the Cobram Secondary College. I think it was called Cobram High School then. It's now Cobram Secondary College. Anyway, we were at school, and this announcement came over saying, all residents of Baruga are to leave now. We're like, We gathered on buses. We went across very quickly, and what it found out was there was an error between the Hume Dam and Yarrawonga, which is kind of like the two dams that are along the river. Anyway. There was a bit of a miscommunication between the amount of water that was held. Now when I'm not like reading a press release, I heard this from someone who heard it from someone who heard it from someone. So I probably should just, you know, have some sort of anti- you know li- liable statement to say this may not be true, but this is what I heard and what I remember. Anyway, so they were, they were quoting the amount of water they had they're going to release, and therefore that, that constituted the Hume to release a lot more water. In, you know, that was coming down to the uh, to the dam at Yarrawonga. And so in order to make sure they didn't overflow, they had to dump water very quickly. So we were having a very normal day. The river level was very normal. And then, well, in about an hour's time, it's going to rise up and possibly flood. So we all started to build sandbags, to hopefully stop the town from being flooded from this, this, yeah. The language that was used by the town people was colourful, extremely colourful. If it was, say, a palette of paint and I was to paint you a, a picture It would be so colourful. It would be a Picasso painting of a tropical fish in the middle of a rainbow. Extremely colourful. We saved the town, by the way. It was nowhere near a threat. So the water rose up and the water went down. And then it went away. It wasn't the first time, though. See, the thing with the Murray River is it needs a flood. Well, when I say it needs a flood, it's always good for a river to, you know, flush things down. But the trees that grow along it in varied, you know, large forests, like the Barber Forest, it needs the flood. It needs the water. And then what happens is the seeds drop, get carried forward, and new life grows. And one of the troubles with with the regulation of the dams and things like that is, well, they stopped the flooding because they were able to contain the water. And so now what they do to the best they can is, well, you know, manufacture floods every now and then. Let the water grow, or sorry, grow, rise, and then, you know, flow on. So yes, so many times I've, uh, you know, put sandbags or built sandbags with the townspeople because the river was going to flood. I remember one time it rose up really, really high. And as you know, I, I lived in the house which was just opposite the... Um, the bullanginya Lagoon or the creek, which obviously was just a little offset of the river. So if the river was going to rise, then so would the creek or the bullanginya Lagoon. So as it rose in flood, I'd walk down along the road at night. Yeah, there'd be the stars up, up yeah, in the sky. You get the various sort of noises of a forest that was never ever unfriendly to me. It's strange. I know we got a reputation for dangerous animals and all that kind of stuff, but it really is, um, yeah, it's not as bad as 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 it lets on. And I often find myself really, really, really loving the sound of the the forest at night, and then the sound of the river, etc. It's a very calming noise, it really is. And so I'd walk down to the the other sandbanks and we'd see, you know, where the, the river rose. It never flooded the town. Came close one year, but never, you know, never flooded the town. During the winter months, when it's dry, and if there's not much rain, you can walk across it. There'll be a little creek in the middle of there, but you can jump that over and you can walk across it. And sure enough, we would sometimes just find ourselves down there, just, just, yeah, walking. It's really, really, really dry. But let's continue with these amazing facts. I'm going to mispronounce this, but I'm going to give it a red-hot try. The Ngarrindri people lived on and along the lands of the Murray and the Coorong and today are the South Australia's largest Aboriginal community. The largest ever Murray cod, amazing fish by the way if you ever get a chance to eat one, was 183 centimetres long and weighed 113 kilos. I'm 182 centimetres and I think I weigh 79 kilos around there. Yeah depending if I've had tacos. But yeah, 79 kilos, maybe 82, again, tacos. My God, that's a big fish. The Murray-Darling Basin itself is home to over 46 different species of native fish, 35 endangered species of birds and 16 endangered species of mammals. I love this this last quote. It's pretty cool. Golf is extremely popular along the Murray. There are 37 golf courses. Well, you know about one of the podcast episodes about that. And my dalliance into crime of trespassing onto golf courses and interrupting people's golf games. Good news is it was not a gateway crime and I did not go into the underbelly where I was then trespassing on to famous golf courses to which I cannot name. I'm going to say St. Andrews. Is that a golf course? I don't know. I think McLaren is a, is a Formula One racing team. I don't know. I, I I really don't know. There's probably Royal something something. Anyway, it, it just goes to show that I'm not you know, a criminal getting onto those areas. So, so, yeah, that's an interesting fact. Perhaps the greatest of all interesting facts about the Murray River, though, is according to Google reviews, it has a 4.5 star rating. Yes, that's right. The Murray River system. Has a 4.5 star rating. Why don't we just check out some of the reviews of a river? Here we go. Oh, cool. They're broken down into sort of four areas fishing, camp, birds, and swim. Um, Danny says, can't beat camping on the Mighty Murray. You know what? You are so right. Oh my God, you are so right. My parents when I was really, 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 really young, we'd go, we'd go camping on the Murray River. We'd take the the, you know, the caravans, and I have some of my, my earliest memories it was just camping on the river, doing stuff by the water. I wish I could go into detail, but I was incredibly young. But yeah, go camping. It's, it's beautiful. It really is. Cheryl says, the place to go when you just want to get away. Damn, it's almost like we know these people. That's absolutely not really true. If you ever need a place... You know there's day spas and stuff like that where you go there and you lay down on a table and they put hot rocks on your back, I assume. There's that weird sort of music that they play. Yeah, it's relaxing. You want to come to a place where... The stress is just extracted out of you. Come down here. Go to the Murray River. Just nestle into one of the beaches. Put your feet in the water. Watch the cockatoos go across. Look at a sunset. Look at a sunrise if you're that way inclined. Let's be honest, you might be jet-lagged the first day, so you might do that. Have a barbecue. For God's sake, have a beer. Or a wine or a scotch or soda. And you can't help but enjoy yourself. Trust me. Trust me. Lisa Bridgman says, fantastic. You probably could have put a bit more effort into this, Lisa, just saying. Um, Go to all the trouble of of reviewing a river and you just give the word fantastic. Anyway. Here we go. Here's a good one. Lebrian Brian Neal said, so epic, really beautiful scenery, and lots of wildlife. Huh, I think this guy looks Indian. I'll give it a shot. Premaliteke. I'm so sorry. I did my best. You can probably Google it and look it up. It's all there. It says, thanks, Australia. You have an amazing natural beauty. Oh, cheers. Appreciate that. So yeah those are the rivers and then, sorry, those are the reviews of our mighty Murray river, four point five stars. I'd like to know the ones that gave it a one star what 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 kind of terrible experience do you have to have to have a one star I don't here's a good one from Jason at sunset on a paddle boat from skiing to jumping from the dock. It's a great place to cool off and have a swim. It also has many beaches. See? Under the Achuka Bridge on the New South, Wales, New South Wales side, first leftover, bridge will take there's a moor there. The bridge will take you straight down to a gorgeous spot, a sandy beach. View of the port downriver and a shade of the old bridge. A must swim. It's a nice review. Five stars. It came from Jason Platt. Thank you very much, sir. You inadvertently started to become a tourist advertisement for the Murray River. There are so many stories. Again, as you know, I grew up on the river. I learned to swim. Seriously swim on the Murray. We would swim the banks from, from edge to edge. Jump off its cliffs. But my history is, well, it's only a few years old. The Aboriginal history goes back 40,000 years. 40,000 years. I can't even fathom that. I just can't. One of the little sort of thought experiments that I like to do is, is this you know, 40,000 years. And I think there's some elements that some other parts of the parts of Australia where it goes back even further, you know, 60,000 years. Just think of this. While the Roman Empire went from nothing to something, rose and fell. The Aboriginals were just living in harmony. While Egypt came into existence, grew in power, put up big pyramids. Again, the Aboriginal communities were living in harmony. While the Crusades happened, Babylon, Alexander the Great, the entire Chinese empire, all of those. If you would add all these up together. And a bunch of others I can't even remember. The uh, Aboriginal community was just still going on. There it was. The largest amount of leisure time in any community ever in the world. Apparently. I'm not an expert. I will not attain to be an expert. But those are the, the elements that, that that I've heard. Anyway, they have... There's a story here about the Murray. I should really try and get this pronounced. The Nangandiri, the dreaming of the Nangandiri people of the Murray River. The Nangandiri is one of the great ancestral dreaming heroes of the Nangandiri people. The story of his exploits was known in detail by all of the different Nunanjiri groups at the time of the European arrival in South Australia. The first published version of the Nunanjiri Dreaming appeared in the Adelaide newspaper. Now, when they say dreaming, uh, in the dream time. And so old stories in, you know, 40,000 years, we're talking old stories here, were carried from, 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 Father to son, mother to daughter, throughout the ages. And they call it the dream time. And the dreaming is, is, is the, the story. And it appeared in the Adelaide newspaper in 1842, just six years after the colony of South Australia was proclaimed by the British. Several versions of the Ngunanjiri dreaming have been recorded over the last 150 years, reflecting on emphasis uh, which different Ngunanjiri groups placed, and still place today, and their local sections of of this dreaming. This account is one of the last initiation Nanangiri men sorry initiated Naranjiri men. Albert Carlone gave it to the anthropological Ronald Burnt in 1939. Like all other versions of the dreaming, however, this account stresses the overarching importance of the Naranjiri as a lawgiver and as the main shaper of the distinctive landscape in which the Nunanjiri people still live today. I'm going to read you a shortened version of this account. Here we go. I'll do my best. In the dreaming, the Nunanjiri travelled down the Murray River in a bark canoe. In search of his two wives, who had run away from him. I guess it was a different time. Two eyes. Anyway, not can to judge. At that time, uh, the river was only a small stream below the junction with the Darling River. A giant codfish, Ponday, swam ahead of Nanangiri, widening the river with sweeps of its tail. Nanangiri chased the fish, trying to spear it we are, from his canoe. Near Murray Bridge, he threw a spear but missed, and was changed into a long island, Lentiland. At Talium Bell in Talaga, he threw another, and a giant fish surged ahead and created a long, straight stretch of the river. At last, with the help of Nepali, the brother of one of Nanangiri's wives, Ponde was speared after it had left the Murray River um, and had swum into Lake Alexandrina. Naranjandiri divided the fish with his stone knife and created a new species of fish from each piece. Meanwhile, Naranjiri's two wives, the sisters of Nepal, had made camp. On their campfire, they were cooking bony bream, a fish forbidden to the Naranjini women. Naranjiri smelt the fish cooking and knew his wives were close. He abandoned his camp and came after them. His huts became two hills, and his bark canoe became the Milky Way. Hearing Naranjirin coming, his wives just had time to build a raft of reeds and grass trees and and to escape across the Lake Albert. On the other side of their raft turned back into reeds and grass trees, and the women hurried south. Naranjiri followed his wives as far south as Kingston. I imagine they would have inserted the English names, you know, into the story. Here he met a great sorcerer, Parampari. The two men fought using weapons and magic powers. Until eventually Naranjiri won. He burned Panampari's body with a huge fire, symbolized by granite boulders today and turned north along the Coorong Beach. Here he camped um, several times, digging soaks with his uh, sand for fresh water and fishing in the Coorong Lagoon. Daranjiri made his way across the Murray Mouth and along the Encounter Bay towards Victor Harbour. He made a fishing ground at Middleton by throwing a huge tree into the sea to make um, make a seaweed bed. Here he hunted and killed a seal. Its dying gasps can still be heard amongst the rocks. At Port Elliot, he camped and fished again, without seeing sign, a sign of his wives. He became angry and threw his spear into the Sea of Victor Harbour and creating the islands there. Finally, after resting in a giant granite shelter, Of Granite Island, Kaiki Naranjiris heard his wives laughing and playing in the water near King's Beach. He hurled his club to the ground, creating the bluff, Lokawanu, and strode after them. His wives fled along the beach in terror until they reached Cape Jervis. At this time, Kangaroo Island was still connected to the mainland, and the two women began to hurry across it. Naranjiri arrived at Cape Jervis, though, and seeing his wives still fleeing from him, he called out in a voice of thunder for the waters to rise. The women were swept in their paths by a huge wave and were soon drowned. This is not a happy story. They became Rocky Pages Islands. Naranjiri knew that it was time for him to enter the spirit world. He crossed to Kangaroo Island and travelled to the western end. After first throwing his spear into the sea, he dived in, before rising to become a star in the Milky Way. As grim as it is, I love the stories and how they tell of events and times that occurred then, of course Kangaroo Island is now an island, and often these are not actual tales of actual people, um, it's more of a, a, uh, I guess a metaphor, a series of metaphors to talk about the history of the time. There's a little timeline here, check this out. 40,000 years ago we settled on Lake Mungo and gathered perch, shellfish, lizards and emu eggs. About 30,000 years, giant kangaroos and giant wombats rove the plains. 20,000, the last ice age, snow on the nearby mountains. About 14,000 years ago, the climate becomes warmer and some lakes dry out. 10,000, people living on cow swamp who look different from the neighbouring tri- tribes. 6,000 years ago, Lake Alexandrina formed as sea reaches today's levels. 4,000 years ago, people living on the lower Murray at Devon's Dawn. 750 years ago, many settlements along the river. 200, the Murray supports more Aborigines than most other places in Australia. 170, white invasion begins. Squatters take over the riverbanks and plains, and many of us die from influenza and smallpox. 120 years, many surviving Aborigines forced to live in missions. And today, we form our own communities and farms. And some of us live in these river towns. That is from Ah, uh, Discover the Murray. It's got many, many really cool, interesting stories and places and tourism and stuff to do. Uh, there's a lot to do. Or oh, you know what? You just go there and do absolutely nothing. Yeah. Take an empty Eski. Pull into one of the places, get all the supplies you need, take a tent or a caravan. I think you can you can hire those ones. And go on down. I've got many memories of that place. I have walked along its banks with friends. I've walked along its banks with loved ones. I sat alongside of it as the sun rose from a completely sleepless night when I finished school and all of our friends gathered at Thompson's Beach. Realizing that. This was going to be one of the last times we were all going to be together as a group and then we would all go our separate ways. I've walked along with friends. I've camped with friends. I've sat at night with a roaring campfire on one of its beaches in summertime. But one of the best memories of all is when I was absolutely and utterly alone. And when the world would just get a little too much and I needed a bit of perspective which is a nice way of saying distraction. I would walk along down to the creek. I would cross. There was a log that would, well, a tree that fell across the creek so you could walk along the 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 fallen tree, to the other side of the creek, and I would walk along its dusty track. I'd see the birds as they flew on by. Bare feet, dirty, dusty. And the dirt track would walk along, and then I would pass. There was this log that is embedded in a tree so high, which told of a time of a violent flood, and every time I would pass that, I would just marvel at how high this river can actually get. It's never been that high ever since, or not to my memory. But it's lodged there, and I reckon that if I went there today, it would still be there. It was one of those permanent lodgings of a, of a log. The tree was growing around it, you know, the the kind of ones. And I would walk along breathe the air, the, the dusty, eucalypty, dewy smell. And I would arrive just in time to see the vast opening of where the river would meet the creek. And I would stare and watch the world go by in beautiful, beautiful silence. I would just look and see the birds and the water moving And just like one of the numerous times that I could probably only count on two hands and maybe a couple of toes, I would feel absolutely and utterly at peace. So I hope you are as well. And I hope you've fallen asleep. If not, then there's plenty more. And I think there's a couple where I talk in a rambling way that's so dull it would send someone off to sleep. If you are already asleep. Well then, good night. Sweet dreams. Take care.